Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. We just heard a marvelous invitation from our Lord. Some words that are so consoling that many Christians have chosen to memorize these verses, in fact. Come to me, all you who are burdened. That's the invitation. Come to me, all of you who are working and can't seem to get your head above water. Come to me, all of you who are anxious about your own health. Come to me, all of you who are discouraged about the future of our country. Come to me, all of you who are enslaved by sin and suffering the consequences of sin. Come to me, all you who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Come to me. And what does, he, what does our Lord say he's going to do for those people that, off, that answer this invitation, that respond, that go to him when they are laboring, when they are burdened? I will refresh you. Every single one of you that comes to me, I will rejuvenate you, I will refresh you, I will give you rest. That is the promise of our Lord. Sounds like a pretty good promise. It almost sounds something that's too good to be true. You know, how is it that we know that he can carry out this promise? How do we know that he can actually refresh us, rejuvenate us, give us rest? What is it that is like makes him some, somebody who's so trustworthy? And the simple fact of the matter is because he's God. He's in charge of absolutely everything from heaven to hell and everything in between. This is all under his domain, his authority. Everything, he said, has been handed over to him by his Almighty Father. This is the person who can deliver on a promise. He is true to his word. But then we have to ask ourselves, so he's going to do it somehow, but how is he going to do it? How is he going to refresh us? What's going to be so rejuvenating about going to Jesus Christ? And he doesn't say, okay, come to me, and I'm going to make everything go away. I'm going to get rid of all of your sicknesses. I'm going to pay off your debts. I'm going to bring you back to health. I am going to, you know, make sure that you don't ever have to work a day again in your life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, come to me, and I will take away all your problems so you can relax and veg and just have a long vacation. Those are not the words of our Lord in today's gospel. Rather, he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, and you will find rest for yourselves. So he says we're going to find rest by taking up his yoke. That's something pretty counterintuitive. Like when somebody says, I'm going to help you out. Here, take this big wooden instrument that ox used to plow fields with. That's not the usual way that we get assistance. So what does he mean by saying, take my yoke and you're going to get rest? You know, he can't be referring to like a a literal wooden physical instrument that is used in farms. In the biblical and Jewish tradition, a yoke is a metaphor for the obligations and the duties which which come along with religious instruction. And so, when Christ talks about my yoke, he's talking about the duties and the obligations, the commitments of the Christian life. You know, commitments that we can probably all think about. Normally it means going to Mass on Sundays and confession at least annually. Commitments such as following the commandments, you know, not entertaining thoughts of anger or lust. 
commitments like praying on a daily basis, commitments like loving our neighbor. These are the, the yoke of Christ, the commitments that we have to carry out to be his followers. But notice he also says that his yoke is easy. His yoke is light. Now, how is that the case? How is that possible? You know, anybody who's actually tried to live the Christian life in a very intense way for any period of time is going to instinctively say, it doesn't seem very light to me. This is not as easy as sometimes it is made out to be. And there's two reasons why our Lord says that his yoke is easy. The first of which we can deduce from the very meaning of the word easy. In the Greek, this word easy can also mean well-fitting or custom-made, like proper to this particular individual. So that the yokes of oxen in the Old Testament, they'd be custom-fit to this particular animal, this particular beast of burden. And so when he says that his yoke is well-fitting, he means that the commitments, the challenges, the obstacles that we have to overcome in the Christian life are not generic. They were made for us. They are specific to our situation. God knew exactly what he was going to ask of us. He knew exactly the strengths that we would have, the temptations we would endure, the difficulties we would face, and he prepared us, he created us, he made us so that we would be able to confront them, to overcome them. God never asks the impossible of anybody and God never tempts anybody beyond their capacity. St. Louis de Montfort beautifully exhorts his disciples to take up his own cross. So each of us, we are supposed to take up our own cross, not the cross of Christ necessarily, not the cross of our neighbor, not the difficulties of the future, but the cross that Christ has made for us, not that of another person. Because the cross that we all have in our lives is something which God in his wisdom designed for each person in every detail of number, measure, and weight. He goes on to say, it is his own cross which God has carved out for him with his own hands and with great exactness as regards its four dimensions of length, breadth, thickness, and depth. So we can say that the yoke is easy insofar as it is custom made for me. God knew exactly what I was going to be capable of and he made me a cross, a yoke, that would fit perfectly to my shoulders. That's one reason why we can say it is easy. But another reason why we can say it is easy, the yoke of Christ is easy, is because even though it's challenging, the Christian life also brings with it rewards. The yoke of the Christian life brings with it everything that we are looking for in life. It brings with it peace. It brings with it happiness. It brings with it the rest that our souls are longing for. It brings fulfillment to our hearts. Sin makes us miserable. For those who live a life of sin apart from God, you begin hell on earth. For those who live a life with God, living the virtues, receiving the sacraments, carrying out the Christian life, you begin heaven on earth. The foretaste of your eternal destiny begins to be experienced here in this life. And this is something which even Aristotle said. He said, Aristotle said, virtue of good habits, doing the right thing consistently, is its own reward. Having the power, the strength, the self-control, the self-dominion, to be able to do what we know is right, that is its own reward. That is something satisfying. That is something which will bring happiness into our lives. And yes, God's law will sometimes 
restrict us. It will sometimes put a barrier around us saying, thou shalt not cross, don't do this or don't do that, but always for the sake of protecting us. So the yoke is something which is easy because it is custom made for us and because it's also going to bring us everything that we're looking for in life, peace and happiness. Although it will be challenging at times. But we don't just take up this yoke of Christian life exclusively for our sake. We don't just say, well, I want to be happy, so therefore I'm going to start doing Christian things. That will happen. There will be challenges. But taking up the yoke of Christian life is also something which is good for society as a whole. You know, many people these days say our country needs reform, and they are correct. But the ultimate reform, the, the, the most important aspect of the reform of our country, or anything really, is going to consist in conversion, is going to consist in repenting and turning to God. The essence of this country is something which depends on God. Because the Founding Fathers recognized when they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that there is something sacred about human life, about the human person. We have these inalienable rights. But if we take God out of the equation, if we take God out of the society, there's no reason why the human person is something special, why the human person would be considered sacred. There would be no reason to say that all of us are created equal unless there's a God who made all of us equal. Because we look at each other and we see we're not all equal. Some of us are smarter, some of us are richer, some of us are stronger, some of us are healthier. But it is because we were made by God that we are equal. And so as the Founding Fathers wrote in the Declaration of Independence, all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. The rights don't come from any other source. If we remove God from our society, there's ultimately no reason why a woman can't take the life of her unborn baby. If we remove God from the society, there's ultimately no reason why a family can't take the life of their elderly relative in a hospital bed. If we take God from our society, there's no reason of affirming that all the races are created equal. If we want rights, we have to keep God. God alone guarantees the most fundamental rights of our existence, not the laws. Because the same people who made laws that say all men are created equal can tomorrow make laws that say all men are not created equal. So if we lose the faith in God, we lose the liberties that God alone can guarantee. If you want light, you must have the sun. If you want forests, you must have the trees. If you want rights, you must have God. Our second president, John Adams, said, Religion and virtue are the only foundations of republicanism and of all free governments. He goes on to say, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so that's why the greatest act of patriotism, patriotism we can perform is to be a saint like Mother Seton. She's somebody who, if we look at her letters from like the War of 1812, like she doesn't really care much about the war. She doesn't like get involved much in like the current political events of her time period. She's not a lobbyist. But we know that by fulfilling her God-given vocation of starting the Sisters of Charity and laying the foundations of the parochial school system in our country, she did more good for our nation than any other lobbyist or governor 
or politician of her day. And although her contribution to our nation might be more notable, obvious, any single time that we draw closer to God, we are doing good for our society. We are building up our country by drawing God into our country, by making the kingdom of God present in ourselves. So Fulton Sheen said, the people that are locked away in their convents and their monasteries and their cloisters praying for this nation, living the life in union with God, they are doing more good for our country than all of its armed forces, politicians, and social service workers put together. Because first and foremost, we need God. Everything else follows. In the year 2000, Pope St. John Paul II told the attendees of the U.S. National Prayer Breakfast that we are at the crossroads in history. He said, Americans, first of all, I'm very thankful to what you guys all did in the 20th century regarding communism. But then he goes on to say, you Americans now must make the choice. Are you going to continue to inspire a true freedom which is oriented towards goodness and truth? Or are you going to start to inspire a false freedom that is ordered towards sin and the abandonment of God? Quote, for religious believers, our time offers a daunting yet exhilarating challenge. I would go, I, the Pope John Paul II, I would go so far to say that their task is to save democracy from self-destruction. This is the task that we have at our hands, all of us, without needing necessarily to lobby, but doing so if we can, we are capable of reforming our society, one citizen at a time, beginning with ourselves. And so let's ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, she who is immaculately conceived, the woman to whom our whole nation is consecrated to intercede for us, that we might take up that easy yoke of Christ, therefore experience the rest that he promised us, and bring about a reform in our society.